Welcome to the Every Thought Matters podcast. My name is Kelly Raymer, and I am the producer and host of this podcast. I'm also a mindset coach, Akashic Tarot reader, co-creator of the Every Thought Matters collective that is coming soon, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. Search Every Thought Matters with your favorite browser, and you'll find my site, information, and how to reach me. Add for the podcast, each episode's a conversation exploring origin stories, life, the universe, and various other topics. Enjoy this episode, and remember, every thought matters. Today's episode of the Every Thought Matters podcast features someone affectionately named Prison Barbie. Her real name is Nicole, and I have no words for her story. I'm going to let the podcast do the talking. This is an incredible path to redemption, one that she will never forget. Hello, everyone, to the Every Thought Matters podcast. I'm here with Nicole, who I have befriended via TikTok. Welcome, Nicole. I'm glad you're here today. Well, thank you for having me. It's quite the honor. Yeah, and I'm going to enjoy a Louisiana accent for a little while. And you're just down the coast from me because I'm on the Texas coast in Rockport, if you know where that is. I so, do. Right, because we all, all of us on the, on the Gulf Coast know each other from Alabama to Louisiana, down to Corpus. So it's wonderful to have you here. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to actually talk to me and my listeners about your, but quite truthfully, incredible story. You have, for most of us living creatures, you have lived five or six lifetimes in one. And let's... I don't even know where to start. I mean, where would you start to say, my name's Nicole. This is where it's all started. I don't know what, I mean, are you, right now I know you're you're married, you have kids, and you're living out in Louisiana. I am. Um, Let's see, I can start where, I think what's most important about my story is the fact that I was raised in a great home. Um, I was a very good kid, straight A student. Um, I never even got sent to the principal's office. And technically, when you look at my childhood, you couldn't have foreseen what would happen. And so in 2000, I was seven months pregnant with my now almost 23-year-old son. And I uh, slipped and fell at Outback Steakhouse. Um, I, you know, the pregnancy was a surprise, but I was managing that well. Um, when I did slip and fall, uh, long story short, my kneecap went to the back of my leg and broke into three pieces. And it just really kind of cut up my patella tendon. And when they rushed me to the hospital, Colby, his lungs were not fully developed yet. So I had a, I had a choice to make. Do I have a knee surgery and fix this? and risk my son, or do I leave myself like this until he's ready and possibly be crippled? And I chose to possibly be crippled. Um, I did give birth with a broken leg, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't really hard. Like you would think that it would be like, I like to laugh. I have a good attitude and we'll just call it like the national lampoon childbirth delivery. (laughs) Because I had a nurse holding my left leg up because it was in pieces. And I had no idea that the day, technically that the day that I fell, 
that is where my life starts to change. Uh, um, this is at the beginning of the opioid crisis. Okay. So like, oh, while I was Lord, first, yes. yes. So we didn't know what was going to happen. And during my pregnancy, I was not taking the pain pills because I was pregnant. We, they had me in the hospital and I was just dealing with it. Uh, I had a total of nine knee surgeries. I think it might be 12. Like that's how, that's how it was. I can't really keep up with the number. It ended with the amputation of my patella, but right. It was, it was something my son and I, we learned to walk together. Basically. Um, they said I would have a limp. They said a lot of things and, um, I walk fine. (laughs) I can run. I can do everything that, you know, they said that I could not do. But I was prescribed a lot of Oxycontin 80, Percocet, Ambien, and Xanax. And I really was not taking them, like, even as prescribed. Um, You know, I'm a new mom. Um, I'm an esthetician. Um, You know, I was successful. But when Colby was two, his hair started to fall out. And I'm, I'm like, what is going on? Well, like I said, I had a perfect childhood. And my parents, um, if I had problems, I didn't know about it, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, they fixed everything. So now here it is. I'm 23, 24 years old. And I've got a problem that my parents can't fix, you know? And it's like, I was devastated. When I look back at it, it makes me angry that I chose to allow his condition to ruin me because it should have been about him. I was his mom, but I've had self-esteem issues my whole entire life. And I was popular in high school, but I still didn't have the confidence I needed. My son is totally hairless. Um, He does not have eyelashes or anything. It never came back. And so now I've got to teach my son a quality that I don't have you know, to be confident in everything. And I got really mad at God, really mad at God. And I couldn't take it, you know, that my little boy was different. And so one day uh, after he had been stared at in Walmart, I came home and I took pills or, you know, the Oxycontin, but not for money thing. And that's really where I think things start. Um, with my right. addiction. I functioned for a really long time. Uh, like I said, I was an esthetician. Um, I contracted out for the casinos in Shreveport, Louisiana. I was making a ton of money. And um, my tolerance is just growing. You know, it's, I'm taking more. I got up to 40 Percocets a day. That's Don't what I was sweet mother of pearl. Yep. <laughs> And my tolerance, it's like I was an elephant, you know, and what was so crazy is I was working, you know, I even worked with Millennium uh, Film Productions because movies are shot in Shreveport, Louisiana. So I was doing like, I was doing like waxing, body treatments, uh, self-tan, stuff like that. You know, I'm on movie sets and nobody has a clue that I am just eating these pills like they're Skittles. You know, I look like I have it together. And I maintained that, I believe, for about six years. Um, Just, you know, no problems. Nobody knew it was a secret. Um, I had a drug dealer. 
that I was buying pills from because I couldn't get that many from the doctor anymore. You know, it was, it just, they were starting to catch on because it's like 2005, 2006 by now. And so I'm buying them off the street and I can afford it, you know? So it wasn't really affecting me. And 2009, there was a guy that I had gone to high school with that I kind of secretly had a crush on, but I had enough sense in high school before the pills <laughs> to know he was bad news. Oh, and cool. he, he had been in prison. Um, he had just gotten released. Um, he had done nine years for Robin Pharmacies. Him and his brother robbed a bunch of pharmacies in Shreveport, Louisiana. So now he's out and we start talking and I'm in addiction. So clearly my judgment is a little off. Um, at one point he was the most wanted man in the state of Louisiana. And here I am getting involved with this individual. And I, my husband now is perfect. So like we have this great relationship. So what I'm about to say, you know, we're very open with each other at the time yeah. because of the drugs. And when you take that drug fueled with um, this career criminal, it was intoxicating almost to me. Like I just thought that sure. we were Bonnie and Clyde, you know, like it was almost an obsession in itself. We get married. Uh, I don't tell anybody. We just go to the justice of the peace. And my son is at the time, he is 10 years old and he's there and everything. Um, and I immediately get pregnant after we get married. My well, life starts, my life starts to go kind of dark, you know, um, um, it's Valentine's day. I'm five months pregnant and I'm on the phone with him and I dropped the phone. And, and back then, remember when you would drop your phone, the battery would come out. Yes. You it would just drop right out. Yep. Yeah. And you just had to put it back together. So it took me like two or three minutes to get it back in and back on and everything. And I called and he did not answer. It took him about 10 minutes, I guess, to get to the house. He didn't, you know, I don't know where he was, but for whatever reason, he thought that I was cheating on him. I now know by my own because I worked so hard on myself that that is a huge red flag like because when somebody accuses you of cheating it's usually the them you know yeah, I had to it. right um he came in and um picked me up by my throat had me up against the wall threw me down and just beat me there's no other way to say it and here I am, I'm pregnant. Um, my oldest son is 10. Actually, he had just turned 11 and I'm scared. And, and what makes me mad is I know better. I was raised right, you know? And it's like, I didn't think I deserved it. The process that went through my head was he had problems and he just loved me that much that he had to do that. That's interesting. Right. Like, it's weird how the human brain works. Like, I knew I didn't sure. deserve it. But why did I think that? It was 
chaos from that point on. Um, I did maintain sobriety during my pregnancy with Collins, my second child. Um, I, but I'll be perfectly honest with you. I was miserable. Um, I couldn't wait to have him so I could use again. Like it wasn't something that was a good thing. You know, I did it for him. I didn't do it for me. And it was extremely hard for me to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so my, at the time husband, he gets caught up in some more trouble and I give birth alone, you know? And when he came back, Collins was three months old. I really thought maybe he would change. But the day that I had the C-section, they prescribed me Percocets. The day I had my son, it was back on 100%. So I'm taking a lot and I'm there's, it's a lot of violence. Um, I, I can't tell you the times that I got in trouble because I didn't cook dinner right or um, just for no reason at all. He would just come home. Um, I've, he's choked me unconscious counsel, countless times and I'm dealing with all of this. So by the time my son is a year old, it's my birthday. He comes home and he was an IV drug user and I had always known that. And, and like, I, I remember like in my youth thinking that that was just the darkest thing. Like, why would anybody do that? That's just such a dark, gross world. And he came in and it was pretty much like, we're doing this. And I knew if I argued what would happen. Um, so that's how it started. Um, I, he did it for me. Um, he, uh, used a, a vein in my foot. And I was scared to death. Um, actually, it was cocaine, um, which I had never done before. And I hated it. It was very scary. Um, hearing the train and like you really hear that train. And I remember asking God, please don't let me die like this. Please don't. And, you know, I was so sick. I threw up and I, I blacked out. Come to find out, I do believe he gave me way too much. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. And that happened a lot. It was a lot of abuse. And I would, I learned to break down uh, pharmaceuticals. So I was shooting up Roxy Cottons, Opanas, you name it. I was like a chemist. I could break it down. And I can't, where you go when you're in that world you, you honestly have to experience it to understand it. But when you're getting abused mentally and physically, it changes who you are. Like before that, I had been a good mom, but now I'm not. You know, I'm very open and honest with how awful I was. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. And in 2013, April, I believe, that was the last time I got beat up. He beat the absolute snot out of me and then went and robbed a Waffle House. For I don't know why. Like, I still don't have the story behind that. Like, what was his reasoning? I'm assuming it was a drug deal gone bad because I don't know. So he gets sentenced to six years flat. He No good time, like nothing. You would think that that would be like my chance. Like I got to get a, you know what I'm saying? Like I've got a fresh start, like common sense would 
tell you that, but the drugs had taken just over my mind. And I felt like he had been taken from me. Like I missed him and I was depressed. Like it was like this obsession and it wasn't normal. And I was going to wait. I was going to wait it out, but I'm a drug addict. Right. So I do have a strong foundation. So like prostitution was not, it just wasn't an option for me. And I don't, I help women all over the place. I do not judge women that go that route. It just wasn't my route. So I decided to start dealing. And then I get involved with another guy that is an addict. And I don't love him. We've been friends, but I really don't have anywhere to go at this point. You know, I'm I'm starting to lose. I've lost friends. And at the time, my husband had isolated me from my family. I'm in and out of hotels with a two-year-old son and a 13-year-old son and another addict. It's disgusting to think about. And my family, my mom and my dad did what they had to. They came and they took my children from me. And you would also, right. You would also think that that would, they did it because they just knew that I was going to change because they knew how much I love my kids. So they're like, okay, if we take her kids, she's going to check into rehab. But the addicted mind, no. Now I really don't, no. Now I really don't have a reason to be doing, like, to do right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, at this point, I just would rather be unconscious. I'm broken. I think I miss my husband. I'm with a guy I don't love. And I'm shooting up a lot. And uh, this is where my story starts to get a little gory. My My mother, go ahead. So let's stop right there before we get to that, because that's, you've had so many chances to stop, but you didn't see the light, but the addiction behavior does that. But I want to kind of connect those two things with, I really want to, before we get to the gory stuff, because I know it's coming, I want to get to like this childhood that was so serene and peaceful and you were so well taken care of you were loved your parents still married no they're not and it's a beautiful story um when they split that's kind of what i want to explore because most people think well gosh yeah you do all these things you had this you were abused and whatever and you're repeating the cycle no you weren't you had like my my story my parents divorced they hated each other but yet both of them loved me unconditionally. No matter what I did, they were proud of me. And to this right. day, they're so proud of me. So I had I had that. And so I didn't go in. And you had the same kind of thing. Talk a little bit about that, because I want that to feed into the next part of your story. Um, my parents are divorced, but they remained very good friends. So it wasn't like my family like just broke apart and split. Right. Um, it, it, I was, I'm an only child and my dad actually, I, he, I saw him every Wednesday and Sunday, but I actually saw him more than that. You know, my mom loved, I mean, like I was the superstar of her life. The minute I was born, she quit living for herself and everything was me. And then my daddy, 
is real big into nature and everything. Like him and I have backpacks through Alaska. Um, like I love camping. Like when I tell you that my father spent the quality time with me, because you hear about women having daddy issues. Right. There is literally no excuse for where no. my life went. And that's, that's why your story is fascinating, though, to me, because you had that paternal and maternal love yes. all the way through. I mean, you were an A student. You were probably involved in all kinds of extracurricular activities at school, like theater plays, whatever, you know, incredible. You graduated with honors. Did you, I mean, did you go to college or anything? Yeah, I went to Northwestern State University. Now, I right. did not graduate because I got pregnant, um, but I did get, yeah. like I said, I became a, a medical esthetician. So like I did, you know, get it's a trade, but you get where I'm going. I had my cosmetology license and I was licensed to do hyperdermabrasion and all of that. Um, That is why to me, the opioid crisis is such a big deal because we get judged and everybody thinks it's street thugs. And I was literally homecoming court, dance line, straight A's. My mom and dad never missed one event. They sat together in the stands cheering me on. See, See, that's why I I knew there was a miss. There's two missing pieces to your story that I didn't know I needed to know. One, I spent 10 years in the entertainment industry. I, I was an actor, a writer, a producer. I've, I've got I, a ton of IMDb credits. So I did not know that. That was really cool to me. But yet that was just the beginning of that. And that's just, yeah, this is what's fascinating about it and the opioid crisis is that you had a lot of red flags, but the way the drug works on your brain, that's what's wild to me. And it, the childhood it, being so wonderful where you're doing whatever it is at school and their their parents are there, they love you and they're proud of you, they're sitting together, like all of that does. Yeah, that's just like a huge big deal with the opioid crisis. It it really is. And, and I've never smoked a cigarette. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like you were not the target demographic for this stuff. I at really all. Wasn't. Not even close. Not even close. And I remember, um, like, not when it happened. Because my father and I talking since I've been sober. Um, mm-hmm. I remember my dad saying, talking to my mom, he said, uh, Frida, we're not, we're not dealing with our daughter anymore. A substance has taken over her and they were prepared for, to get that knock on the door, you know, from the police that I had. Oh, wow. Yeah. Overdosed. And my mother is the one who pressed charges, uh, for felony number two, my pharmaceutical fraud charges. She did that to save my life. Um, she she okay, sent me a text. Cry here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. She did that. I was going and picking up her Xanax, and she was prescribed to a day, and maybe would take a half once a week. So she would have refills. So like I was going and picking them up, and taking them, and I had already overdosed once, but not to the point of being on a vent. I will get to that later. The very first time I overdosed, I overdosed in front of my father. Um, I told him that I was having an asthma attack because I thought I was. 
And I completely blacked out and hit the dash. And my daddy, who is my hero, had to drag me into the ER screaming. He thought I was dead. And um, I have learned to forgive myself for all that because that's huge. You have to in order to continue on. But it was not easy at all. It was easier to forgive my abuser than it was to forgive myself. And that's just sure. fact. Well, uh, let's pause just for one second on that. Because I want to, I love forgiveness. It's one of my favorite topics. Most people think about forgiveness being, oh, it's, I forgive that person for in your case saying, they're giving me this or whatever, right? And you think it's always external. Forgiveness is not external. It's all, it's an inside job it, because it's about forgiving yourself. Like for me, the, some of the mistakes I've made in life is forgiving myself because I didn't know what I didn't know in that moment. What I know now is different and it's easy for me to look back at that, but then you've got to look back at yourself almost like a child and give them a hug and say, I know you didn't know that. That's okay. It's going to be fine. You turned out all right. And I do that all the time, especially with my eight-year-old self, because my eight-year-old got his heart broken, like crushed when my parents got divorced. So, but if I've always just now, he didn't know what he didn't know, you know, and right. you're doing that work and that's not, in past tense, that's a daily thing for you, I bet, right? It, it is. It really that's is. Awesome, though. That's it, amazing. It. If somebody would have told me when I was a little girl, or even, like, let me give you this example. When I would walk for homecoming court, I remember thinking, what if they boo me? Like, that's crazy, right? Because they booted, they, they voted me there. So like, I would be like, what, what if they boo me or what if they don't like me? Like if somebody would have told me that that girl was going to turn into the powerhouse of a woman that I own today, I wouldn't have believed it. I, hands down. You couldn't have made me believe it. But I mean, here I am and I believe that my steps were ordained and I was chosen uh, to be a bright light and to, to be hope to the addicted and the abused. And um, so I take what I do very seriously. Very seriously. I know. I, I could see that in your TikToks and just talking to you. You've moved something inside of me. that. So I know that you've got that power. So do you okay. want to continue on to the dark side just to get, I know it's, it's not, it's graphic. So for those of you get a little squeamish, it's okay. But I, I want to understand this because I wanted to tap into this lifetime movie childhood that was just this beautiful little child being, she was loved, you know, and Very that so. was, and boom, we're going to dive into this dark side of what really happened after that. Yes. And it gets dark. Um, so the last five years of my addiction I was on the drug Subutex. Now, I support all recovery. Subutex was a nightmare for me. I was injecting it. Um, there is talc in that as the buffer. 
that is for sure not meant for your veins. I started in my feet and my legs um, because I didn't want to use my arms. You know, I was trying to fight it. Sure. But I start to get like in infections because of this talc. And it's not like I'm missing. It, it's because as it goes through your bloodstream, it's not meant to be there. So like it needs to work its way out. And then plus I'm using dirty needles. You know, I'm reusing the same needles over and over again. That's just disgusting. Um, I am at one point living out of a cab. I went and got... <laughs> I went and got uh, my chauffeur's license like I and was driving to support my habit, totally tracked and loaded and just sleeping in the car. And then I just quit working and they had to find the cab. Like I could have gotten arrested on that one. Like I said, my mother pressed charges. So I am on probation um, and I become an in-state fugitive because I quit checking in. My family, my mom and my dad, uh, they had to have my kids. They had to cut me off. They, it, it saved my life. Um, it took a lot longer than we thought. Um, they said, Nicole, you're not going to see your kids. And don't don't call us until you're ready to check yourself in somewhere because we, we've had to give you to God. And um, we love you, but we can't do this. So I'm devastated and I'm eating Xanax bars and shooting up three subutex a day, which is what I was prescribed. But like I said, it's not supposed to be there or in your veins. And I wake up one morning. It was, it was May. It was around my birthday. I've overdosed twice to the point of death. I've been shocked twice. I would run out of my medicine and I would always hold on to muscle relaxers to help me with the DTs and your heart's the muscle, right? You can't take 15 somas and your heart still works. So, um, the second time I woke up on a vent, what I do remember was darkness. I was running through darkness, screaming, um, and I could hear other people screaming. And the next thing I know, I wake up with this vent, you know, and I'd been on a vent before, but this, I was scared. Like I didn't, I thought I'd been in a car accident. I, I, I couldn't even remember what happened. And I remember them saying, you scared us, you know, and, you know, and I know what's coming because I've overdosed before. They're going to put me inside. Right. But they, I mean, I see you right now. So when they finally released me from ICU in my in a hospital gown with no shoes, no clothes, I've got under panties and a gown, and I'm barefoot. I see the elevator, I get on the elevator, and I take off running across King's Highway in Shreveport, Louisiana, hospital gown to escape psych. Um, Call my boyfriend that I'm with. I'm really waiting on my husband to get out of prison, you know, to come get me. And it, it it was just a nightmare. We we were not 
living, we didn't have a place to live, you know what I'm saying? Or sleeping out of a car. Sometimes we're, he was a painter. So sometimes we would sleep in buildings that were, he was painting where nobody was at at night. And I'm, I want to quit so bad. Like I want to, but I never can get past the withdrawal. And what people don't understand about Subutex is if you can't detox off of heroin or Percocet, you're crazy if you think you can detox off of subs. It is the worst detox known to man. I know I did it. And that's uh, that's scientific. You're supposed to wean yourself down. You know what I mean? Like you can't be on three and just quit. So I wake up one morning. I get lucky. Like I said, I was a medical esthetician. And James Burton, Elvis Presley's guitar player, Mm-hmm. and his his wife Louise they own a bunch of property in Shreveport and it, I hate to say it but this was kind of like they're not slumlords they're not but this was like a rundown place that they let me rent so the the apartment is in my name and that is very significant in what's about to happen okay so it is October of 2016 and I wake up and I don't feel good, which is kind of normal, but this is a little different, you know? And I do have uh, like lesions on my legs and now on my arms. Um, I would tie a belt around my neck and uh, have the veins poke out in my face so I could shoot up in my face. My veins were so blown. This right here is, was, is a scar from MRSA in my face. And I don't feel good. And I look down and my whole entire left breast has turned black. Yeah. And mm. I, I would shoot up in my, my breast too. And I'm like, something's wrong, you know? So I call my boyfriend and I'm like, I need to go to the hospital, you know? And I've already been hospitalized several times over the last few years with these staff and MRSA infections. So whatever, here we go again. But this is a little bit more serious. And um, I obviously get admitted immediately and they tell me I'm probably going to lose my left breast. They're probably just going to have to take the whole thing off. They don't know. Um, Back when I was successful, I had my breast lifted and a tummy tuck. So I have filler implants. They didn't know like what was going to happen with all that. So I'm prepared to go into surgery and lose my left breast. I'm laying in like on the table and I'm like, I've done it. Like I've already lost my kneecap and beat those odds. I'm missing half of my hip right here where they put in my leg where they took my kneecap. I've got osteomyelitis in my toe. That's totally dead now. I'm stiff. I can't feel it. And I'm, and now I'm, I'm probably going to lose my breast. And it's like, I've gone too far. God. Like, it, I, I don't want to do this anymore, you know? And when I woke up, <laughs> my breast was still there. Um, and I was like, okay. From here, I look like I've been burned pretty bad. They, You know, the long Q-tips, when they were cleaning it out, it would almost go all the way in from the hole where it had to heal. And it has to heal from the inside out. When they remove the mm-hmm. dead tissue from Martha. Like, they don't sew you up. It's got to heal from the inside out. So, like, I've got this massive hole. And I look like it was, at the time, it was just, it was so grotesque. 
Now, I never lost contact with my oldest son. Um, he would sneak out to come see me. My, my children are 11 years apart. I did not see my baby for four years. My baby that's in the living room right now, um, he's 12. I, I didn't see him for four years, and um, it devastated me. So after I got out of the hospital, I never, I did not use the needle anymore. But honestly, it was almost a little too late. I think I had around 70 uh, lesions or boils or whatever you want to call them all over my body, sure. if you count them in And, but I, so I do put the needle down, but I'm still taking the Subutex in my mouth and eating Xanax. The day... Three days before Christmas, um, I just get to the point. I'm like, I am an in-state fugitive. They are looking for me. You know what I mean? Like, I have not uh, checked in or anything, you know? So, they're looking for me, and I know that. And I, you know how they say you can feel death? Like, when you're dying, you can feel it, maybe, like, you know it. Okay. That's where I'm at. I, I, I feel, I can feel death, like. It's like, okay, something, I'm, I'm going to die. So I, I actually throw all my drugs out. And I call my best friend at the time. And she comes and gets me. And I'm like, I don't know. Because I can't get past day three, right? I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. and But I, I've got to try. It's Christmas time. You know, I miss my sure. children. I, I miss my mom. I miss my daddy. You know, like, it it was just devastating. And the guy that I was with was breaking into the building underneath that James Burton owned. And Louise is James Burton's wife. Her sister had a bunch of stuff. And he's breaking in and stealing this stuff. But the apartment's in my name. Now, I'm guilty because I'm spending the money now. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not making an excuse. Mm -mm. So, um, it's December the 26th of 2016 and I'm sitting there and I'm starting to be sick. Like I'm, I'm detoxing and I hit my knees and I, I screamed out. I was like, Jesus. And I wasn't questioning his existence. I was questioning how far I had gone in the wrong direction. Like, if it's not too late for me, I need you to show up right now. I need you to do something and I will do it your way and I will not argue. But I'm saying, please, like, I want my life back. And I, I, I could feel that I was about to die. And before I get up off my knees, uh, my friend comes running down the hallway. She's like, Nicole, the house is surrounded. I said, okay, I got you, God. And I walked to the front door and I was going to cooperate. Now, they had so many people looking for me because of who I was technically still married to. Because um, that's a dangerous family situation. So they, they didn't know who was with me. I've never been violent. I've never had a violent crime. Sure. My, my crimes are pharmaceutical fraud and simple burglary. So I to the front door and I'm going to cooperate. Uh, but they took me down. <laughs> Just boom, you know, and 
I'm like, I, I don't have anything on me. Like I told you what I look like, you know, and I'm covered. I, I, I don't look human. I, I look like a zombie. Um, I'm 230 pounds. I don't know that. I'm just so swollen and covered in all of this. And they take me, you know, the detective takes me in and he's asking me all these questions and I refuse to talk. Um, I don't know, I guess because I just don't believe in that. Like, I don't believe on, in telling on people if you were sort of involved yourself, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't innocent, so I'm not going to throw somebody else under the bus. And the guy that I was dating had been arrested because of child support and something. So when I texted James and Louise Burton, I said, listen, he's at Caddo. And we were a month to month. I'm gone. You know what I mean? Like, I moved out. So when they go to do the welfare check, they see all the soul and stuff that belongs to them and her sister. And they don't know where to find me, but they know where to find him. So at the same time, I'm hitting my knees asking for help. He's selling me out. He's like, she's crazy. She's an in-state fugitive for the pharmaceutical fraud. And I know where she's at. And she stole all this stuff. He cuts the deal and he walks. I don't believe in coincidences. Um, that was God. Um, it worked out exactly how it was supposed to. I was scared to death. Um, I'm not a thug. I'd never spent the night in in, in jail. Um, even with my arrest, I went with a bondsman and an hour later walked out. You know what I mean? So, like, I know I can't bond out now. And <laughs> the intake process is crazy. You know, like, it's I've, I've always been a modest person and you're they have to check you everywhere and you know they're they're fingerprinting you and I have these southern manners you know I've always my mom have you seen the show designing women my mom and yes. my aunt my grandmother my mom and my aunt my grandmother were like that so like I was raised with these southern manners and even in my addiction I, I had them and I was sitting there and I'm scared and um, I'll never forget this. I, you know, they have to de-louse you. I didn't even know what that was. And uh, she hands me a pair of panties. Um, they're Hanes. And I said, oh, no, thank you. I have my own. And she says, um, honey, you have to put these on and don't say that. They're going to eat you alive in there. Whoa. And I'm like, Okay, because we all had to share panties. Like it was a big bin. Like you just wear them and then put them in the laundry, and then you don't know who's you're getting back. That was crazy to me. Three days in, um, I go into kidney failure. Remember when I said I felt like I was going to die? Yes. The weight was the fluid retention. Like I mean, I had gained weight, but like so much of it was fluid retention with my kidneys. So I'm in the infirmary and, you know, I transferred to the hospital and in and out of the infirmary and the detox starts to get serious. And I can't. And by infirmary, you're talking to prison infirmary, correct? Yes, yeah. this is Caddo Correctional Center. So it, they hold federal inmates that are awaiting to be sentenced and people okay. like me. So, I mean, it's it's like the parish jail, basically, you know, and yeah. you're waiting to get your time. And it starts getting serious. And I don't cut corners because people need to know 
what happens yes, when do. you do talk. Um, I cannot control my bowels. Of course. Um, it, it, I, I've, I'm covered in vomit. Um, the shaking is unbelievable. Like my body just vibrating. And I've got pus coming out of all of these sores. And I'm laying there and I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, God, I'm here and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm following you. Like I'm here, I'm here for it. And I, I start praying and I knew that I was going to have to get through this. Like I had no choice, you know, and I was gonna, I was going to lean on my faith and I was going to go back to the foundation that my parents had laid for me. And I was going to handle it. And it was the most brutal. It was 90 days before I could walk across a room. Um, it's like, you can't sit still. I, I would like scratch at my skin because I, I wanted to rip my skin off. And I, you, you don't want to lay still, but then you can't walk either. You know what I mean? Like it's this restless sure. leg thing. It was miserable. Once I get through that and the infection gets under control, now it's time for me to go into general population. And that's something I've never done before. You know, I don't know what G-pop means. I don't know what Sally Port means. You know, I don't know what any of that means. And I know that I'm going to have a, a cellmate, you know what I mean? A monkey, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I'm scared. Is this person, did this person kill somebody? Um, you know, I don't know what I'm walking into. I've never been there. Okay. My husband, I'm still married to him. Um, he is, he's incarcerated. He got the six years, right? He's on yep. year four. He's, he's on year four. And he's writing a bunch of women, you know, it's a pen pal thing. And everybody knows that I'm his wife. He's kind of like infamous, you know, like for who he is. In a way, that kind of protected me um, in, in, in some weird sense because it was like he thought he owned me, you know, and we didn't lose communication. I was still talking to him when I was with that other guy writing, you know, I think he's the love of my life and, you know, just brain damage, whatever you want to call it. And uh, so as I start to get sober and I get through the detox, Nicole comes, starts to come back. Uh, like me, like the, the per the girl that never made fun of anybody in school, the girl that had a good head on her shoulders, you know, I, I start to feel myself come back. And it was like, I had been in a coma for seven years. Like I remember things, but it was like some, it wasn't me that you, if that makes any sense at all. No, it makes a, a total amount of sense. It, it, it was so weird for me. And I, I, and I just remember thinking, you haven't, you haven't seen your, haven't seen your son in, in four years. And he is six years, he's six years old now. He doesn't even know who you are probably. Colby knew my oldest, like I said, and he saw all that. He saw the abuse. Colby would have to take Collins in another room and they could hear me being beaten, you know, and, and it was horrible. And Colby is 
still seeing me, but now I'm in lockup, you know what I mean? And I, and I'm embarrassed yep. and I'm facing time, you know, and the first time I go to court, they offer me seven years. Um, but when they put me into general population, I, I said it out loud. I said, you know, okay, God, I do not want to walk out of here until it is on your terms, until I'm going to stay sober and until I'm strong enough, you know, and there's, there's just as many drugs in prison as I saw more drugs in prison than I did on the street. So let's clear that up. You know, it was more about yep. me focusing on me and the beautiful thing about suffering through detox is you don't want to go through that again. When people it's say, how do you see stay, it? when people say, how do you stay sober? I, okay. Fine. Detox because you should have to go through it. It shouldn't be easy. And Jesus, that's how I do it. But I had my parents um, had logged on to a website and it lets you know every, the arrest. And they knew they finally, you know, my mugshot hit and they felt like their prayers had been answered. And as soon as I got out of the infirmary and got into the general population while I'm waiting my time, um, they, they popped the door and they're like, you've got a visitor. And there's my daddy oh. on oxygen. He's on an oxygen tank. He's got a rare lung condition, COPD along with that. And um, he's trembling and he's looking at his little girl, you know, the, the little girl that always had a bow in her hair and, and homecoming court and dance line and us backpacking through Alaska, all these beautiful memories. And now he's looking at her through glass and she's in a jumpsuit and she's covered in sores. It took a year for them things to heal up. And he says, I love you, Nicole. And this is your shot. And I'm going to get you through this if I see you trying. And we're going to fix this. Because my mom and dad always told me that they knew I could do it. You know, they never gave hope. You know, they knew I could do it. And I said, okay, dad. And, um, you know, they he came to visit me regularly. And I, I was a compulsive liar in my addiction. I, I, hold, I don't hold anything back. Like I told some crazy lies. So when I was explain, I had a court appointed attorney. I don't think he really believed that I was going to get the time that I got, you know, because here's the thing. When you're ready to change your life, you become transparent. You, you don't have a problem proving things, you know, you have to be open to that, you know, and I just don't think he believed me. And, and I wasn't offended by that. I just cared that he was there. And, you know, that day he brought me a picture of Collins and he held it up to the glass. And I'm looking at a first grader. And the last time I saw him, he was in diapers. And he's beautiful. Both of my children are. And I was like, okay, you know, this, uh, I'm, I mean, like, I finally got to see if it, you know what I mean? Like, I've got this image of my child and my daddy's in front of me. And I don't, like I said, he didn't think I'd get the time that I was going to get. Um, I got five years. And when I got my time, two days after that, um, my mama showed up. And now she's got to look at her little girl 
in a jumpsuit. And I'll never forget the look on her face. Um, she's so scared. She's terrified. Um, you know, it was like, she couldn't look at me like that, you know, and I, I just, I, I'll never get that image out of my head. And she told me she loved me. And I knew because I told God I would follow him. And, and even in that little month, few months time span, I was getting those blessings. You see what I'm saying? Because I'm not using uh -huh. the drugs and lockup. I'm not getting in trouble. Um, and Which so now really freaking amazing considering the amount of drugs that float around in any prison. Any, I mean, uh, you and I watch I, tons of TV and that stuff is true. That's that they're, fiction is based on reality. And yet here you are sober in the middle of general population. That's um, incredible to me. It, because it was it's even scary. more pervasive there than it is out on the streets, I would bet. And you're still maintaining all of this. Wow. That's incredible, and, Nicole. And, and I have the ability to pay for it. My daddy is putting money on my books. So like ramen noodles and coffee. Money, and stuff is what do you mean money on your books? What's that mean? It mean like when you're in lockup, you are in prison, they add money for commissary for like, you can get ramen okay. noodles. Like, so that's currency in there. Coffee is, there's no other way to say it. Coffee is like heroin. Um, right. So like, I ha technically I had the money to pay for this stuff, but, but the, like and I still, said that the detox to me was just like so brutal. And like, I had a personal encounter when I, when I screamed out for him and they, and the cops showed up, I, like that's a personal encounter to me and I should have died. Had I not got arrested, I probably would have died in a trailer in Greenwood, Louisiana. Sure. But I, I called for him and he showed. And so like, I'm like, okay, so I don't want to get out of here, you know, until I'm ready. And, and you'll understand why I'm telling you that in a second. Okay. Um, the guy that I was dating that sold me out. Um, yep has come to see me several times. And right after I got my time, I'll never forget it. Cause I think this is where I start to realize my worth. Um, because suddenly now I'm not infatuated with my husband. Like I'm realizing that I've been beaten. You know, I hold, he gave me chlamydia when I was pregnant with my son. Like I've never had an STD. I've never really slept around. And I'll go to a prenatal appointment and have that. And I get beat up because he blames me. You know what I'm saying? Like all these things are coming into reality for me and I'm changing. And I remember when he comes to visit me after I got my time and he he's like, you know what? I don't even know I'm, I'm bothering with you because you're just going to go back to your husband when you get out of here anyway. I'll never forget it. I looked at him and I said, you know what? When I get out of here, I don't want anything to do with either one of you. Thank you for being the coward. And I hung up the phone on my side of the glass and I walked off. And 24 hours later, they popped the door and they said, you're getting shipped to prison. They said what? They're, they were shipping me to prison. Oh, my. So I'm like, OK, I got to be tough, you know, like I'm going to the big house. Oof. And it was terrifying. 
and I don't really fit in. Um, like I said, I'm well-mannered and proper. And the thing about prison is there it's dark and there's evil there, but there's also really good people in there, you know, but it is so clear to see the difference when you're in that world and there's more bad than good. Let's clear that up. You know, there's, you have a choice to make, you know, am I going to become a part of the system or am I going to use this to level up on a massive level? And I picked the second one. I, it was so scary going, like, I'll never forget it. It was a two hour drive. They, they drove me to Salua, um, chain ganged with like probably about 10 other women, you know, like, cause we were, they're shipping us and it's very uncomfortable <laughs> and we get there. And I thought intake at Cato was brutal. Wait till you go to prison. That's even more brutal. Um, you know, they have to search in you and everything. And they had to put me in medical, which is open dorm. The thing about that is medical, like I have kidney disease, you know, I, I had gone into kidney, kidney failure, but medical also means sight. They don't care if you've got diabetes, kidney disease, or mental illness. You're all in the same spot. And um, I was in an open dorm with eight, at Tallulah, I think it was 88 women. I'm not sure on the number, but you get it. And there's three toilets on the wall, no, no privacy, just three toilets sticking out of the wall and three shower heads. And I'm like, because at Caddo, I basically lived in something of the size of an elevator for seven months. You know, I'm yeah. seven months. So I've got to go to the bathroom. In front of in people. Front, and, and yeah, in front of a ton of people. And all the beds are here in the toilet. Like you're literally in front of the whole door. And they don't right. even put it. I mean, it's, it's horrible. You're and I got a shower. In front of people. And yeah. being a southern mannered girl, that's very awkward, right? It was it was very awkward. Like oh. I didn't I you know, it was like, oh my gosh. And like I said, I don't I, I'm very honest and brutal with my story so people understand the consequences. But using the bathroom, and when I mean using the bathroom, I mean number two in front of that many people. Yeah, defecating. It's, yeah. It's just it's just like I'm I feel cringe when I think of it. And it was just so embarrassing for me and the <laughs> it was horrible mm. the violence that women do to one another is crazy um that women can be mean and they're they don't want to kill you they want to disfigure you so you know they'll boil uh sugar and coffee creamer in the microwave to say we had one and then they would throw it on somebody's face. I, you know, I watched somebody's face basically melt off. And, but the thing is about the grounds on Tallulah, there's a church service every night. And I met three or four other inmates. And it was beautiful because, like, we would get up in the morning and drink coffee and talk. And for the first time in years, I was laughing again. Like we, you know, we would go to church together and it was, it was like weird. Like I'm talking to my mom and dad and my children on the phone every day. And I, I just found out I'm going to be a grandmother. My 17 year old son 
got his girlfriend pregnant and uh I'm I'm upset about that because of his age but I'm also like okay like I'm I'm part of my family again you know and he's got baby mm-hmm. number two on the way with the same girl like my son is killing it <laughs> like <laughs> he's the case he never left you know what I mean like he didn't have that father figure so I must have done something right you know because he he witnessed all that and he's killing it I'm proud of him but um, mm-hmm. I stayed focused on, on God. And then, you know, people think God is like a, a make-a-wish foundation. It is not. Yeah. Um, right. Hey, one second. Help. I need help. There are scammers posing as me on social media. I don't know what to do. Dear Lightworker, have you ever thought of joining the Every Thought Matters Collective? Yes, the Every Thought Matters Collective. My name is Kelly Raymer, and I am co-creator of the Every Thought Matters Collective, along with Jen Everson. We can help you get rid of the scammers with our unique Every Thought Matters Collective verification tool. Check out everythoughtmatters.com slash collective to find out more. With how I uh, now I'm forced to deal with my issues, um, like I have to face it. So I start with my personality flaws. Um, why did I think I wasn't good enough? You know, and I had to put that work in, and then I had to think about uh, the abuse that took place and deal and cope with it. And I, I, you know, I stayed in prayer and then I just dissected myself. So, because I didn't want to repeat what I had done. And I knew for a fact that I never wanted to come back to prison and I didn't want to use again. I wanted my family back and I knew that it wasn't going to be easy. So like I had to, I had to fix things. I had to fix the fact that, uh, I was a people pleaser and cared more about other people's feelings than I did myself. And I had to face the ugliness, what I had put my children through, what I put my parents through. I had to face the fact that I should be dead. Um, I had to get the strength to file for divorce, which I did while I was incarcerated. Um, and it was a, it was a journey. It was like this self love journey. I had to look at the ugly in order to see the beautiful. And my dad taught me to feel God in nature. So in Tallulah, um, the church services usually took place at sunset and, I would watch the sun go down. And even though there was barbed wire and, and fence, I just looked over it and I could feel, you know, God moving in my life. And I knew I had no idea that things would happen for me, like where they are right now. But I knew that if I kept my eyes on him and that if I faced my worst fears, that I would come out on top. You know, now when I'm in Tallulah, my family's coming to see me and I'm actually getting to hug them. Not my baby. Not yet. 
I mean, they he hadn't seen me in years, and that's no place for him. But Colby's 17. And I remember the look on my parents' face the first time they saw me in Tallulah. They were terrified to see me in prison, but now I'm in scrubs, and I, they, they're seeing their daughter again. But I had perfect teeth. Um, I had beautiful teeth. I didn't even have a cavity until, like, my late 20s. And now my teeth are rotten. And I think... You know, everybody, I had identified uh, by the way that I looked for so long that it made me put too much focus on that. So now here it is, my body's covered in scars and my teeth are broken off and rotten. From here over, they've been knocked out. And it was embarrassing for them to see me like that, but they were seeing their daughter you know, for the first time, you know, like my thoughts and I look more like me and everything. And I'm still not completely healthy with my kidneys. And I managed to pass out in the pill call line and they have to take me back to the hospital. And that's when this nephrologist, the yeah, kidney specialist says, they're not taking care of you. And they're, I'm like, okay, they ship me to Elaine Hunt. That is a men's prison. And they hold about 150 women there who are doing life. They're murderers. Um, they've done some terrible things. Some of them are child molesters. Yes, women do that. Um, and I'll like they just called. They called my name in the middle of the night. Like they don't tell you when they're shipping you. You know, like I had the doctor had said, "Listen, she needs to be in a better facility." So when they come get me at four o'clock in the morning, I'll never forget it. You know, everything I own is in a garbage bag. And, and I've got this relationship with these three women that, you know, where we managed to keep our eye on God, you know, and they're my safety net. And I'm in this hell hole, but I can see beauty in it. And I remember turning around at the door and looking at them. Just. Bye. Like, I don't, you know, it was hard because I was sentenced to five years and I only should have done nine months. DOC lost my credits when they transferred me. I had asked God to let me out on his time. <laughs> That's not a yes. coincidence that that happened. So when I got to Elaine Hunt, like I'm scared. And I'll never forget it. My mom stayed strong, you know, like we were talking and everything. And she had said, my daddy too, had stayed strong. And I called her, the, the guard let me, let me call my mom. She was like, how in the hell did you end up here? Like, like what this, you know, make like how in the, what is up with you? Like, and she said, I'm going to let you call your mom. And I was like, all right. And I'll never forget it. I, I said, mom, I'm in the state penitentiary. They have shipped me. I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And she's like, be tough. Don't you dare cry. I love you. Be tough. You got five months left. And I was like, all right. And when they put me in that open door, my the, the girl that slept on top of me, which she was, I, like, I, I liked her. She was nice. 35-year sentence for killing her boyfriend. Person to my left, 60-year sentence for murder. To my right, 
she killed her child, her newborn baby. Like I'm in the big leagues and I've got simple burglary charges and pharmaceutical fraud. And I've only got five months time left. Like be smart. So I didn't tell, I, I didn't tell anybody how, how much time I had left. And that the guards there are nice, but it is something like, and then you've got to look at the women who are never going to see the light of day again. You know, like this is their life for the rest of their life. And some of them were abused women who killed their spouse. You know what I mean? And Louisiana doesn't care about that. Like you're still going to get a bunch of time. And it was eye opening for me. And I, and I believe that everything happens for a reason. So like I was paying attention to these events because I wasn't going to mess up again. And I was trusting that God had this path laid for me. And my mom, I remember when she told me, I, call, I called her every morning and she said, there is a, a women's shelter in Alexandria, Louisiana, and we're going to try to get you in your aunt my stepdad's sister um, ran into a lady named Gloria and her son is clean too, but she thinks that she can get you into this place, but it's going to be a miracle. And I, and I remember thinking, then it's a bunch of crap. I've been in prison <laughs> nearly two years and now I got to go two hours away from my family and live in a women's shelter. Like really? But I said I was going to listen and pay attention, so I just said, yes, ma'am. Okay. And I wasn't happy about it. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to trust you, God. And um, I'll never forget, I didn't tell anybody my release date, but when they called me, you know, and I was walking out of them gates, and it was my mom and my stepdad that were there because my daddy is sick. Um the the look on their faces you know like they had their their daughter back you know and we're gonna go from baton rouge to alexandria i'm not going home and they take me to a hotel because it's like 4 30 in the morning they had spent the night that was when they let me out and my mama had laid out perfume and new panties from victoria's secret uh, dresses, like pajamas. And I hadn't seen stuff like this. And she had done it just like she'd done it my whole life. My mother is amazing. Yeah. And now I got to go. And I hadn't seen my reflection in almost two years. Because you don't have a mirror in there. It's like a cookie sheet. You can see a blur. And now I got to look at myself. And that was hard. Um, my teeth are broken. And I'm covered in scars. And it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm about to take a shower for the first time, like a real shower, you know, and we drive to Alexandria and I meet the lady that met my aunt, Gloria. And two days later, we're in church, I get the Holy Ghost. And that was something that I it's an experience that was so personal for me. It was like God saying it's over. The suffering's over and you're ready. Just keep your eye on me. 
Like it was so serious. And Gloria was at the other end of the water when I got baptized. Two days later, it, you know, it's church day and she wants to sit next to me and her son happens to be there. And that's my husband today. Wow. We met, <laughs> we met and, uh, oh man, he smiled at me and I thought, crap, like, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not ready. I don't need to be in a relationship, you know? And we married four months after we met. We didn't really even know each other. The only thing that we knew was that we felt that we had we were meant to be together. He had a really bad marriage himself and had gone through a lot of stuff. And we we healed together and we married and we got to like know each other and we stayed focused. And I never thought I would have a man that loves me for me and would never hurt me. And the fact that his mother happened to be in Tupelo, Mississippi and run into my aunt. Not I mean, come on. It is not. And so he and I, it was his dream to run um, sober living. So we have a sober living house. He's a substance abuse counselor. He was addicted to meth. Um, and he's been clean as long as me, but we clearly didn't know each other in addiction. That's very important. Um, you cannot go back to your past or anything like that. And, um, our dream is to start a rehab and it looks like that might be happening pretty like we, We've had a little bit of a breakthrough there, but we spend our life working with addicts now. And, um, I had no idea that my TikTok would blow up. Um, I didn't think I was interesting. I have, I love to use comedy with my story because I think it's important that you show happiness after all this. Cause why in the world would you fight to get sober if you can't be happy? So yeah, you better believe I'm going to make jokes and laugh because life's too short to not do that. And when I made a TikTok about me and being in prison, it, that was the first time I went viral because they were like, yeah, right, girl, you've never, <laughs> you've never right, been you, in prison. Sorry, but you don't fit that profile at I all. Don't. I don't. Not from your childhood, but just by the way, by looking at you, there was no way that you were in a cell with murderers. Literally. Right. Literally. Wild. Then that still doesn't seem real to me. <clears throat> but for you, I know it was very real, plus shared toilets and it was horrible, you know. I I watched I watched women make sex toys out of Jolly Ranchers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I saw some stuff, you know, it was like, oh my goodness. And so, um, but I went viral on uh, TikTok and they just didn't believe me, you know, like there's no way. Mm -hmm. And that inspired me to write my book. And, you know, it was self published. I would love for it to go crazy big. But, you know, the whole point is, is to get oh. the story out of hope. Um, and, this is my life now. You know, I try to spread hope and help, you know, women with domestic violence because people don't understand that people are like, Oh, well you can leave. Well, yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you can, you can take the accountability when you're ready, but your brain doesn't think you can leave. Like people don't understand. 
is the hardest part. And it's like, it's not about, oh, I can't leave because I don't have anywhere to go or I don't have money. Like you are addicted to that situation. And to be so transparent with you, my husband was so nice to me, or he still is. I thought he was not in love with me like he should be for like a year because of the way he treated me. Like I had to retrain my brain and it, it was a lot of work and, but I'm proof it can be done. And I like to hit things on a realistic level. Like I'm not perfect. I love Jesus, but I'm mm-hmm. also human and I'm not uh, like a holy roller. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know I never got that from you. Right. Uh, I'm normal. You know, I'm, I'm a normal person and I know what Jesus can do and I'm not going to be fake and preach at you. You know, uh, I'm a normal human being. And I think when people, I think Christians give God uh, just such a bad name, the way they treat people and the way they act. You know what I mean? God has moved sure. in my life majorly, but I'm not, I'm not special. I just followed him and I refuse to be fake about it. You know? I, right. You shouldn't be. Exactly. You, you, you gave trust to a divine power when most people wouldn't to be very honest with you. That's not an easy thing to do. That's, you know, you, a lot of people think they've hit ground zero and they haven't. And you were, geez, six feet under the ground many different times, but you were like, okay, no, this is what we're going to do. That's, I don't know. You, how do you stay sober every day? Cause I know there's a lot of addicts out there and I want them to know, Give them an idea or something that they can go, wow. Because as our mental health has changed, because now there's so many more addictions. Like I'm a, I call myself a recovering people pleaser. So I, I've added comfort zone addict to my resume now too, because I, gosh, I really don't like to get out of my comfort zone. And you obviously for, What's that time frame from the time you got arrested to the time you got out? How many years was that of it, being in the system? 21 months is how long I did. It was almost two years. And I was sentenced to five, but I only should have done nine. You know, I didn't get my credits when they trans. I only should have done nine months. I didn't get my credits when I transferred. And um, But like I said, I was very specific with God about that. As far mm-hmm. as staying sober... The yeah. best advice I can give you is this. You might not have childhood trauma. I didn't. If you do have childhood trauma, I got trauma in my addictions. So all addicts have some form of trauma, whether it became before or after the addiction. You are filling a hole with the drugs. Drugs really aren't the problem. You got to fill the hole with goodness you know i filled i filled my hole with jesus but it's more than that you have to break down your personality flaws you have to fill the void you have to face what you do not want to face and you will come to find it is not as scary as you think it's going to be and when you fill that void and you get that confidence you grow and detox for me like I don't think, I think this, there's beauty in the suffering. I don't want to mm. go through that ever again. So yeah, that's interesting. 
Yes. I think there's, there's strength and beauty in the suffering. And when you, when you feel the release, when you feel it coming out of you and you're so sick like that and you, and you push yourself through, you start to realize the strength that you have, but you also don't want to go through it again, but you can't stop there. You have to fix the brokenness. And it's very possible to do. I know I did it. Like, I, you know, I, I've had some terrible things happen to me. And to give you a perfect example, right, like within weeks of me getting out of prison, uh, my stepdad, you know, there was nothing we could do with my teeth. Uh, I have dentures. Um, it used to embarrass me to talk about it, but it is what it is. Like I said, I grow every day. I'm not perfect. So here right. I am. I had all my teeth pulled out of my head. Wide awake. Um, I was numb, but wide awake, nothing for my nerves. And I took ibuprofen. My mom drove to Alexandria and we stayed in a hotel because she couldn't stay at the women's shelter, you know, with me. And right. um, I did that. Wow. Uh, and I have been faced with things and you just have to because of the detox and because of the prison and because of the abuse and because of my self growth, I know what I'm capable of. And it's like, I'm going to keep going. Like it's motivation. And if somebody early in recovery, like hold on to the one thing that you, that you beat and that gives you confidence. And then you're going to beat the next thing. And when you keep going and you keep going and then you, you find the forgiveness, like, Forgiveness isn't about the other person. Like when you're holding on to anger, you're hurting yourself. That other person does not care. Okay. That other person is not bothered. That person is very unbothered. And so when you forgive that person, you're letting go of the negative energy and you know, it, it helps you and you just keep going. And, you know, like I said, my husband and I work with addicts and I think it's wrong because, like I said, we're 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 Jesus Jesus loving people, but yep. we're not going to come at you and preach at you like that because we also believe like some people we we don't all recover the same, you know. But we're not going to nope. preach at you and talk down at you because like God is a great thing, you know. It's not supposed to be miserable, and I refuse to be fake, you know. And that's that's what we do, and it's I it's how it. we make it. And, you know, and uh, my my little boy, he's 12. My husband has five daughters. Three of them are grown. He's got two little ones. And we're like the modern day crazy Brady Bunch. We've, like, yeah, I've got a DRB number. <laughs> but, I mean, I've got boys. He's got girls. And it is what it is. And um, I don't that's, regret anything. That's interesting you say that because I grew up in the Brady Bunch because my dad remarried and she had two boys and a girl, but it was, he had the four boys and was, we were called the Brady Bunch behind our back apparently, which is kind of funny because I was in the seventies because I'm a seventies child. So while that show was on, we were actually literally called the Brady Bunch. Funny you bring that up. That The other thing about suffering is I, I have subscribed a little bit of some of the Buddhist teachings and Buddha actually talked about suffering and how that works. Mm -hmm. And so that that's an interesting that you say that. And that's an interesting perspective considering just, you know, everything you've gone through and how long has your book been out by the way? A year and a half. Um, it's, yes. 
victorious, my path to redemption. I don't know if you can see that. On the camera, yes. So good. And where can yeah. people find that? Is it on Amazon? It's on uh, Amazon. Barnes and Noble. It's on Amazon. Self-published. It's on Amazon. Self-published. It's Victoria's My Past nice. Redemption. And um, it just, it's, I get into a lot of detail there. You know, like it's, it's way more in depth because it's, it's a book. But I wanted to show people that it can be done, you know, and I think people get so judgmental about things and I refuse sure. to be that way um, because at the end of the day like at the end of our life none of us have it right is what as far as the afterlife goes none of us have it right yep but if you live a clean life and you treat people well and you give back there's something great waiting for you and I know that for a fact and yeah service is probably your best Keeping clean and, and being of service to others as well as yourself. But I, anyway, I could go on an entire podcast just for that. But I'm not, I love talking to people like this. this your story was magnificent and it was way more incredible than I even thought. Thank and you. Really, I don't know you that well, but I'm very proud of you. Well, thank you very much. Um, like I said, I don't. People ask me if I would change anything, and, and my answer is no. And here's why. My sons see a powerhouse of a mother. They're proud of me. And they know what addiction will do. So if I have to bear that cross so they don't, then that works for me. And every single black eye and broken tooth and every single thing I got, if it got me to my husband today, I'd go through it again. And I help people and I was chosen for, for whatever reason to do this. And so now I wouldn't change a thing. And I'm happy, you know, and I never thought I would be that way. I, I've dealt with myself and I, you know, and, it, and the journey never stops, you know, but. It's no, it doesn't. it doesn't. The healing sure. never stops either. Sure doesn't. Anybody you tells you that that's a destination. Yeah. I'm, I just, you're amazing. And. Let's wrap this up as tell people how they can find you um, again, re repeat the title of your book and all of it's that. Vic so it's sorry. Victoria, my path to redemption, uh, Nicole okay. Pearson, Jatania. Um, uh, on TikTok, I am uh, prison. Barbie is the easiest way to remember it. That's what they call me. Yep. Um, that was my, that was my prison nickname. Uh, Nick Victorious one, I prefer because you know how you have two names on TikTok, but because yeah. my name means Nicole means victory of the people. I don't think that was a coincidence. No. So um, that's why I picked Nick Victorious one. Um, but it's that or Prison Barbie. So sure. if you get you get to my TikTok, you can find me anywhere, Facebook too. Yeah. Um, so. Again, I so appreciate you taking the time, the hour and a half or whatever it is out of your day to tell your story. And I want to help you get it out as well. And I've got a few people I know in the podcast realm that I think I'm going to reach out to just to have you on their podcast as well. Thank so you so I'll much. Keep you posted. No worries. Thank you so much. It's a powerful story and everybody really needs to listen to this episode. That's all I'm going to say.
I just, I'm, like I said, thank you so much. I'm honored that uh, you asked me to. I'll like, so thank you. Um, and I, I've done um, two other podcasts, and this is by far my favorite. You let me be me, and yeah. you didn't censor me. And um, thank you for that. <laughs> no, that when I do these, I I hold space for the person there and let them talk and let them be themselves. And you were great. Thank you. You got me to tear up like several different times, and that's never happened. <laughs> Well, uh, I, thank you. Uh, like I said, I, I wouldn't change a, a minute of my story. Um, just giving people hope means a lot. And the strength that I found is what keeps me going, you know. So even uh, even when bad things happen, I, I know that I can encounter oh. it sober. Right. Absolutely, so. girl. I, that's kind of a, a great message to leave us with. So everybody, thank you. And thank you, Nicole.